and welcome to episode three of Lur and Longboy Liberty Show. I'm joined here with the Longboy himself, Mr. Gabriel Krauser. Greetings. Krauser. Krauser. Sorry, you know, you think. But anyway. <laughs> My ancestors couldn't pronounce. Yeah, that's, that's and we stick to tradition. Many of us have problems like that in our family history. Anyway, uh, so this is episode three. We actually did record an episode three in the past. But uh, unfortunately, it has been lost in the timey-wiminess and complexities of technological trouble. Um, And that was about Gabriel's master plan to save South Africa and deliver us all from the jaws of hell, racial nationalism, socialism. Yeah, and uh, so we recorded that before the election, about a week before the election, and everything that's happened since... Any complicated... Everything that's happened since has just made me even more sure... That it's uh, that it's uh, correct, um, and that it's the only real chance we have. But uh, I think we're going to redo that one. I'm, I've been speaking to some ANC veterans about it, some MK veterans. Uh, once I've once I've completed those interviews, I think you and I can sit down and talk about it again. So as fantastic as that uh, as that uh, podcast was, it's going to be even better the second time. Yeah. Anyway, so today we're going to be chatting about, sort of we're going to be going a little bit of a world tour again, like our last episode. It's been a while, some things have happened since then. Yeah. Uh, we, we actually had a discussion with our Supreme Leader, Franz Cronier, recently, uh, where we talked about the state of the world. Hail the mighty. Hail the mighty man. Um, and we came to some, uh, we have, well, there's been some interesting developments. The first of which is there's some trouble in the Straits of Hormuz uh, between Iran, Saudi Arabia, the United States, and the UAE. That's not where Hormuz is. For those of you who don't know where the Straits of Hormuz are, it's like if you think of Africa as a gun pointing down, it's sort of where the uh, flint would be or the horn. No, it's not, it's not that bit. It's, it's the, the other bit. bit. It's the other side. That was that. The, we were the, testing the listeners there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know because your description wasn't. It was very complicated. It's very artistic. <laughs> um, it's the bit of sea between Arabia and. Iran, basically. There we go. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a big old island there called Hormuz. And so the, the, that narrow bit is called the Straits of Hormuz. And it's controlled primarily by the United Arab Emirates and Iran on the other side, with a strip of international waters in the middle. It's very important because something like 20% of all the world's oil and something like 15% of all the world's natural gas travels through that strait. And that's oil and natural gas coming from Saudi Arabia. And from Iran, because all of Saudi Arabia's uh, oil and gas producing facilities are on that side of the country. And Saudi Arabia and Iran have not exactly been getting along. No, they have like not. Like a house on fire. They, they have been having some issues for a while. Um, it, some of it is a little bit of a, a you know, kind of religious identity. Some difference. of it is the Sunni-Shia divide. Some of it is just a dispute between the two regional powers that are in conflict with each other. Saudi Arabia wants to be the leader of the Arab world, wants mm-hmm. to be the sort of the big cheese of the Arabian Peninsula. And the Iranians see themselves as the leaders of all the oppressed Shiite minorities all around the Arabian Peninsula, in Yemen, in Bahrain, in those places. So, And then the other element is that Saudi Arabia's ally is the United States of America, basically. Yes. And uh, Iran's uh, position vis-a-vis the states is uh, yes, I believe that I believe the official slogan of the state, chanted at all rallies, is death to America. <laughs> so... You know, they and they, they paint murals on the walls and cities of like you know, American flags being burned and Iranian soldiers shooting down American planes and stuff like that. Yeah. So, that, you know, there's a little bit of tension. There. They don't support the same soccer team as they're, it were. They're, they're a little bit, yeah. They, they don't see eye to eye on that many issues. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so just to, I mean, so I'm the naive in this equation, um, but I'll tell you what I know and then you'll flesh it out. Yeah. So the, uh, my, my Facebook wall, my friends in the States were sharing lots of pictures of ships, Norwegian ship, Japanese ship. Yeah. There were holes in the ships. It looked like the ships, looks like someone sort of left uh, more than pocket chains floating around in the ocean. They left some some mines. I want to say mines. Limpet yeah. mines. What does limpet mean? Uh, I think it's a it's a ma- kind of magnetic mine. So okay. you don't have to actually touch the mine. It it sucked towards the ship. Jeez, like that's hectic. Okay, and then one had one looks like it blew up. And then one didn't get blown up, and then a little tugboat came racing along to remove the mine. This tugboat was Iranian. The, the, the Iranian Navy, because it, uh, it in the 80s, its Navy was hit very heavily by the United States in a military strike. So their strategy for their Navy is to build lots of very small, basically speedboats with big machine guns on them. Yeah. And the idea is that if- And I've seen pictures of that too. They exactly. look pretty, they look kind of, I mean, it's so James Bondy. Yeah. Uh, Excepting the, the machine guns are bigger. I mean, I don't even think you call that a machine gun. Oh yeah, well, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a mini cannon. Yeah. Um, the idea is that if American ships are in the Straits of Hormuz, the Iranians can swarm them with you know sort of a thousand mm-hmm. tiny boats, and so it doesn't matter how how good your ships are, you just can't fend off that many. Especially if some of them are maybe rigged with explosives, and then you just send them straight. Kamikaze going straight yeah. into it, and the other ones. So it's yeah, it's it's the it's how bees take out the bear. Yeah, exactly. That's that's sort of their naval build strategy. So uh, in particular, this one is a, is is being linked to. Uh, ships delivered to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. So the way Iran works is it has the army, which is sort of the normal army, and then it also has kind of this paramilitary force, which is the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, which is a separate political entity. It's not directly under control of the the state. It's not a part of the army. It has its own objectives. It's its own political actor, and it's very important for uh, maintaining the regime because it prevents the army overthrowing it in a coup, Mm -hmm. um, and it's been around since the days of the Islamic Revolution, 1979. Since we, uh, we've we got a very hard rule that we never draw analogies between what's going on in the world and what's going on in South Africa. Very difficult, but it is hard rule. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're not going to draw a comparison between the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and the 800,000 private uh, sort of security forces in South Africa, which at the moment are non-political, at the moment are non-organized and, and very disparate. And there's, of course, no ways that they would ever coordinate their, their actions. But hypothetically... If we were to perhaps think about this a little bit more, we might we might start stumbling into echoes uh, across the world. So let's stick with Iran. So it, this seems pretty benign to me. There's a ship. There's a limpet mine left by some fogey terrorist or or some reckless kind of uh, I don't know someone who had too many limpet mines and one fell off the back of a truck. It's floating around in the ocean. It uh, it gets sucked onto these ships, and the Iranians uh, go very humanely say, "Well, that's uh, not good. Let's go and remove it." Uh, why did this nearly spark uh, a war, a major scale war? Well, it's it's a little bit complicated. We need to go back just a couple of years um, to kind of look at the the sort of the background going into this. So, Iran has. Um, very, it, it it said that it's wanted just a, nu- a nuclear program for peaceful means for energy, but that doesn't really explain why it's 
it itself has been admitting that it's enriching its uranium to sort of above peaceful grade levels. So it's very mm-hmm. clear that Iran has wanted a bomb for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during the Obama administration, the Americans decided that they were going to solve this problem by coming up with a kind of compromise deal with the Iranians. They were going so to as a result of the Iranians kind of doing this kind of thing, yeah. sanctions had been put in place before yeah, Obama. Sanctions, sanctions had been put in place, but... Uh, yeah, so the, the Iranian regime was, was was under a bit of pressure, so they said to the Americans, let's make a deal. The Americans are like, cool. Obama really wanted this as a big part of his foreign policy. He Legacy. thought this was going to yeah. be his crowning sort of achievement. Yeah, because he came in with this sort of view that um, part of the U.S.'s problem is it hadn't been negotiating in good faith yes. with major players in the Middle yeah. East, and he thought that he could change that. Yes, so they came up with this deal, which no one was particularly happy with, neither the Iranians, the Americans, neither the Democrats, nor the Republicans, which said something along the lines of this. Um, the Iranians were going to halt all production of their nuclear material. They were going to get rid of some of it. Mm-hmm. And they were going to not pursue any kind of weapons development for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And in that, and in exchange for that, they'd be given a big old whack of cash and all of the uh, sanctions would be taken off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a dispute within the Iranian regime between the hardliners and the, the soft, soft, uh, the pragmatists. So the pragmatists say. are saying this is a great deal. What do the hardliners say? Well, the hardliners say, no, no, we, we can't trust the Americans. They're going to go back on this. We need the bomb now because, uh, firstly, it'll make us way more influential in the region. Mm-hmm. And also it'll allow us to just, um, it'll protect us from any potential American attack. Mm-hmm. They can't topple our regime if we've got a bomb. Plus, we can sell look the technology to all of our friends and make a lot of money. There we go. And look at Kim. Yeah, exactly. Kim Jong-un has a bomb and now no one can touch him. And look at India, look at Pakistan, look at Israel. There are bombs in the region. Exactly. Uh, so so what's one more? Yeah. So the Americans really don't want this. They have a very bad relationship with the Iranian government for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Israel in particular doesn't want this because they think that the bomb might be used on them. The Europeans don't want it because Iranian missiles can't reach America, but they can reach Europe. They can for sure reach Berlin. Yes. So they're quite keen to cut a deal. Uh, the Saudis really don't like this, though. And yeah, they would be the, they'd really be in the crosshairs. One of the American fears is actually that if the Iranians develop a bomb, it means the Saudis will develop a bomb. Yeah. And as, as much as the Americans and the Saudis are allied, the Americans really don't want the Saudis to have a bomb. Yeah. And, of course, the, the Iranians have this perverse incentive, not only in terms of the things we've already mentioned with their tension with Saudi Arabia, but also, if I've got this right, Saudi Arabia has got the cheapest oil production capacity yeah, much, yeah. so they they don't really mind what the oil price is whereas iran kind of minds a little bit and yes. if there was if there was sufficient conflict to start crippling saudi arabia's ability to keep producing oil that would shift the oil price up exactly radically back to, i mean it was a 200 dollars uh, or, or close yeah. a couple of years ago if it went back there then iran would be in a in a in an existentially different position the, the other difference is that uh, Saudi Arabia is, in a sense, in a way, not a real country. It's a yeah. it's a tribal confederation at its core um, with relatively few people and so much oil money. Yeah. They don't actually have to kind of be a real country. They can just keep sloshing the oil money around to make everyone happy. Whereas yeah. Iran doesn't – it's got yeah. a lot of oil, but it doesn't have the kind of money to, to like, look after its – And it's got a lot of people. So, yeah, it's got a lot of 50 people. 50 million? I think it's somewhere around there. I'll just need to check that. Um so, you keep talking. Oh. So one of the problems with this with this uh, with this deal, and one of the reasons it was criticised, is that it doesn't really actually necessarily prevent Iran from getting a bomb. It just delays it by ten years. Mm-hmm. It kicks the can down the road, and, and the, the problem is that gives them a big chunk of cash 
So 10 years down the road, if, the, if things haven't changed fundamentally, then yes. Iran's... I mean, one of the big things, there were, there were these cartoons of like a bomb with a fuse. Yes. And it was like, how many days or weeks or months would it take Iran to build a bomb now? Yeah. And in 10 years' time, after they've had sanctions lifted and after they had that wad of cash, sort of just in the, in the most big picture kind of sense, it, that fuse would be shorter. Exactly, because you could, you could basically build all of the infrastructure beforehand and you, just don't, you don't need to actually produce the material or anything, yeah. and which means that you can be ready to go in a year. Yeah. Uh, the other pro- uh, so so the, the hope of the Obama administration was that um, doing this deal with the Iranians, that they would either the regime would collapse internally due to um, social reform it's movements. Or By the way, it's 81 million. 81, okay, so it's yeah. actually much bigger than that. Um, or alternatively, it would, uh, um, it would moderate because it would be opened up to the world and there would be like all these investments and it would become hooked into the global economy. Become like Sweden. Yeah. But what, is, what has happened is the Iranian regime appears to have taken a lot of that money and invested it in expanding its 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 uh, reach uh, over the region so they've exerted a lot of influence over the iraqi government which is also a shiite dominated government um and they were helpful in in stopping that government falling to isis i mean the americans also helped but uh yeah they 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 back a lot of the the shiite militias which have been fighting against isis in iraq and that's backing them by buying them guns and by buying them guns uh, they also there's there's allegations that they have their own paramilitary forces there. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also backed the Assad regime very heavily because yeah. Assad is uh, he's he he differs from the majority of his population. I think he's a he's a Druze, which is one of those uh, sort of offshoot, which which is sometimes included under the umbrella of Shia Islam, but it's actually mm-hmm. like its own community. Anyway, not particularly important except that he's a he's an ally of the Iranians. He's an ally of the Iranians, and also there's this principle of no regime change. Uh, which obviously suits... And, and the Iranians have a very long view. Uh, their government, at least, has a very long view of their, their place in the world. They see themselves as being, we are actually, we are the Persian Empire. Yeah. You know, and Persia used to control this entire region. You know, yeah. we used to stretch to the, to the, to the Hellespont, to the borders of, of modern-day Greece and, and uh, the Aegean. So um, they, they see this as, as their natural sphere of influence and something that they should dominate and they're protecting their religious minorities who share the kinship with their regime because mm-hmm. they are an explicitly theocratic government. They are an yeah. Islamic republic. Yeah. Um, and it's a people of the soil argument. Yeah, yeah, so they do have some, you know, this is the kind of power play. And of course, local actors such as the Saudi Arabians who see themselves as the kind of lead, leaders of the Arab and of in, a, in a more modern sense, but not entirely. Yeah. They, so they, 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 they're in a destruction. Exactly. They've been this conflict um, between the two. And the United Arab Emirates is also another play in this, but they're basically on the Saudi side. They, they, yeah. they do most of the same stuff. Um, so you've got these competing interests and it all settles. And, and to add to that, of course, you've got a huge amount of the world's oil production going through mm-hmm. the Straits of Hormuz, most of which goes to East Asia and some of it to Europe. Uh, so I think the biggest customers of the Iranians are, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think it's Japan, the Netherlands, China, yeah, countries like that. So not the not the US, um, but a lot of major economies. Major, yeah, very fast-growing economies. So it's to, uh, to use a bit of a metaphor, it sounds like the situation is uh, with Iranian ambition, Saudi ambitions being at loggerheads, and uh, the hugely potential, ex- the, the sort of explosive nature of the means that might be used to yep. break the jam. It's almost as if there's like a ship 
uh, cruising down a strait <laughs> with a limpid mind, slowly, magnetically <laughs> sucking yes. its way towards the ship. Yes. And, and of course, um, there's a tension between Israel and Iran because Iran says that Israel is, you know, sort of evil, yeah, I don't think imperialist it's, construct yes. and it's invaded Islamic doesn't land really have destroyed. the right to exist. Yeah, yeah. So the Israeli, uh, this is this is the the, the rise of Iran. Uh, over recent years, has actually created a very strange alliance. One of the reasons that things have warmed between the Saudis and the Israelis mm. is because of it's, Iran's growing power. Yeah. Uh, so we've got this very kind of tinderbox atmosphere. The Americans wanting to prevent the you know uh, obstructions of the the, the sea because uh, since the end of the Second World War, the Americans have guaranteed the right of free passage in the, all those seas all around the world. Yeah. So that's a very big part of American hegemony. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they want to stop the development of regional hegemons. Um, they've mm. got allies in the region and they need to protect them to maintain their international credibility. So this is the stage we're on. And suddenly we have this these attacks on these tankers. Now the Americans say it's definitely Iran, mm-hmm. 100%. Here's some footage of uh, the patrol boats, the, the, what you mentioned earlier. Uh, they also... Um, Point to this, like murals being painted in Iranian mm-hmm. cities of ships being sunk by heroic and past nefarious actions. Yeah, yeah. They say this is where if they deny it, that you can't, they're not really credible. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not, they're not credible. The Iranians say, no, 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 it's nothing to do with us. There's lots of bad hombres to use President Trump's term in that area. <laughs> um, it could be, it could be anyone. And there have been some sort of uh, intelligence officials who've said, you know, there are a lot of dodgy groups in that area. Yeah. Um, Al Qaeda, for example, and stuff. Yeah, they're like, it's like you know, when they're in the oceans, you call them pirates. Yes. When they're on land, you call them they're pr- sprinters. They're, yeah, they're factions. they're pretty much the, there's this kind of piratey types there, and it's the kind of tech that um, that a lot of different groups might possibly have. Right, and that's because it's it's pretty damaging, but it's not that yeah. high. The, the Americans grade. claim that that the that the tech was sufficiently advanced to be pointed at Iran, but mm-hmm. there's disputes over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems here is that it's very possible that it could have been an Iranian-aligned group because the Iranians have lots of proxy forces mm. that they use. They have the Houthis in, in Yemen who are part of the civil war there and they have other groups. Um, or the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, Revolution Guard yeah, yeah. who are not necessarily directly under the control of the state and might be independent actors. So it's very possible that there's a division within the Iranian government that some of them were completely in favor of attacking shipping and some were not. Mm. Unfortunately, things seem to have escalated. So the, the two sides threw accusations at each other and there wasn't, you know, it, 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 it wasn't sure what was going to go from there. But then an American unmanned surveillance drone, which is a pretty, uh, as I heard, it's a pretty big piece of tech. It's like a proper plane size mm. drone was shot down by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. When was that? Uh, yesterday, two days ago, two days ago. That's Wednesday. Yeah. So... Now there's lots of fingers being pointed. So and that's a hard thing to shoot down if you if you're not for real. Well, yeah, you can't you, you don't shoot that stuff down by accident. So and so just to give an analogy, so uh, Putin's Russia kind of has a similar situation a little bit. Ramzan Kadyrov, the head of Chechnya, yeah. is sort of some. There've there've been sort of explicit cases where there are things that Russia wants to happen. It can't do it itself because. The backlash would be Bad, pretty yeah. costly, but what will get them into a nuclear war? Yeah, but if Kadyrov goes and does it, then it's deniable. It's deniable. Yeah, and there's so there's a similar kind of relationship potentially between what's going on there and the Revolutionary Guard. You say it's quite clear that they shot down the drone, yeah, or at least they, they're strong they, they they say that they they did. owned it. Okay. The, the thing in dispute here is that whether it was over Iranian airspace or over international waters. Yes. 
So the Iranian Revolutionary Guard said it was over our space and the American said it was international waters. Mm. So this is uh, immediately after the kind of reports emerged of this, Trump very ominously tweeted, Iran has made a big mistake. That was, a, that was not Nicholas. That was an actual <laughs> insert <laughs> of Donald Trump's voice. Um, and, uh, well, the world held its breath for about sort of 12 hours. Right, because... And just to just to be clear about how dangerous the situation is, although Iran doesn't have uh, nuclear capabilities, if there was if there was a proper full scale war between Iran and America and Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia, would it be more like the Afghani war, more like the Gulf War, the first one, more like the Iraq well, it's, war? It's it's a little bit difficult to say because at the moment it's actually difficult to imagine that there would be a proper American invasion. Mm. Um, They're so war wary. Yeah, the Americans are pretty war-weary. Trump is actually quite a dove. Um, Bolton himself is, is, is kind of, it's, it seems that behind closed doors, he's actually saying, no, we, we, want, we think our sanctions, because, um, oh, oh, sorry, we forgot to mention that the, that the Trump regime pulled out of the Trump administration. They pulled out of the deal. So, out the, out the deal so, yeah. so the sanctions have sort of three quarters been back in yeah, place. Yeah, most of them are back in place. And it's been the American strategy up till now to try and just pressure the regime. Keeps and cause it turning to, the screws. Cause it to fall apart internally. Yeah. And for the last two years, Iran has had major protests against it by a, a large sections of its population. Mm-hmm. So its regime is under quite a lot of pressure at the moment. And... Um, uh, it seems like the American strategy, which they want to continue to pursue, mm. is avoid military confrontation, just turn the screws and wait for the regime to fall over. Mm. So it, it seems that even the hawks in the American government don't really want to yeah, and so Bol- scale. So Bolton is the uh, national, sec- security advisor. national security advisor. He's basically the minister of the army. Well, he's, 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 he's kind of, it's a little bit different from that. He's like the supporting... So Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, is That's like the kind of foreign affairs guy, but then yeah. Bolton's like the, the second most influential person. Yeah. He's famous for being a very aggressive hawk. Yeah, he's a very aggressive hawk, but so you say even he's kind of not keen on this. But, yeah. uh, but my point is that if war did break out there, the Iranian military forces are quite well organized. They are really quite well a big country. And they've also organized themselves specifically to fight the US. Uh, they don't have the sort of massive tank armies of the... the, the, the uh, Iraqis, or yeah, who were kind of more interested in looking to defend who, themselves or attack their neighbors. To attack their neighbors, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they're also they're more experienced because they've been fighting a lot of um, conflicts against you know their neighbors, Isis, yeah. Uh, and so they would probably be a little bit of a tougher fight, yeah. Um, but the real problem is that Iran is a very big country and it's difficult to manage. And logistics, even if, even if the Americans could could defeat their army, which they probably could quite easily running that place or keeping it together because it is quite a yes it's, yeah. it's it's the regime is is on top of quite a fractious place mm. there's a lot of ethnic minorities who um, mm-hmm. are kind of keen on independence there's a lot of religious minorities who are kind of keen on independence mm-hmm. so the moment the regime fell apart if it did it might open up a very it's hard not to open up a can of worms that means 50 years of yeah, infighting yeah, yeah, yeah at an aggressive level exactly it would be like it would make the occupation of iraq look like a cakewalk yeah and we all saw how easy that was. Yeah. Okay, so I want to kind of, I want to, so do you think, do you think it's worth talking about, we've been having discussions in the office about who might have done it, yeah. who might have kind of, uh, or, or should, should we talk about that first or should we talk about uh, what actually has happened in the last 
Well, let's talk about that first before yeah. we go on to what, what has happened since the drone was shot down. So, because one of the theories is that, so the Iranians do it, if the Iranians did do it, probably it was with a kind of arm's length deferred actor so that they'd have plausible di- deniability. Yeah. And their motivation well, a, to a do magnetic, it. A magnetic mine floating, bobbing about in the sea is really like, you don't even know what ship it's going to necessarily hit. Yes. Like it's it's the most kind of... Ob. Arbitrary, sort of distant, whoops, it almost could be an accident. Yes. So, and their motivation would be, um, I think, that if they could trigger some kind of conflict at a low enough scale that it's manageable, knowing that their enemies are war-weary, are already stretched, um, that they might do a little bit of a punitive strike, but not much more than that, that might unite the nation behind them Yes. In particular, behind the agenda of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and the hard right wingers who yep. are sick and tired of moderation, sick and tired of pretending to speak nicely to Barack Obama, he's not even there anymore, and who would really like a very strong us versus them mentality. So it would be sort of good for domestic politics. And this is yes. often how things work out. Totalitarian regimes stoke external existential threats, yes. at least in the eyes of the people, in order to bind them together. Exactly. So that would be their motivation. We, I... And then I pres- think it's worth entertaining the possibilities that the Saudi, at least to notice that there is a motive for the Saudis yes, to have done something like this. Uh, the Saudis are way more scared of Iran than probably anyone else in the region. Yeah, um, They're very vulnerable. If you look at Saudi Arabia's geographic position, all of its oil-producing areas and all of its like fractious border regions mm. are majority Shiite. So the and pro- they ride on the fringe. They ride yeah. on the coast of yeah, this. On the coast Strait, or on the border with Yemen, where the Houthis dominate. Where, exactly. So they are super vulnerable to Iran mucking with them, basically. Mm-hmm. And their problem is that the Americans, as much as they have been under Trump, kind of uh, have been more aggressive towards the Iranian government, are nevertheless so much of the country war weary. Within the Republican Party, there's a lot of doubters yeah. um, about this approach. And so they're, they're sort of a half-hearted ally. Um, and the Saudis' worst nightmare would be that the thing that wakes up the Americans to to helping them out is an actual invasion of Saudi Arabia. They'd prefer to do a false flag attack, stoke a bit of tension, have the Americans come in and say, oh, look at these reckless Iranians. You can't trust them. They're blowing up arbitrary tankers just trying to deliver goods and services. Um, We need to sort this out. So So that would be their motive. I'm not saying they did it, but that's what they stand to benefit. So in terms of, uh, of, of opportunity and in terms of motive, the Saudis and the UAE also definitely have something. Mm. The only problem is those two governments and their military forces are tremendously incompetent. Mm. And they're also very likely to be um, there. I, I, I suspect the CIA probably has a pretty good idea of what goes on inside of them. Mm. Uh, in fact, the Saudi Arabians are so famously kind of militarily useless that their defense strategy goes something like this. They'll keep gigantic stockpiles of equipment and weapons in the desert. Mm. Not and not allowing their own army to touch them because they're because they're afraid the that their army might depose the theocratic leader prince. But they're there leadership. so that the Americans can very quickly send soldiers to rescue them, yes. and then just pick up all of the equipment there instead of having to transport it. So they just have to send people. They can just jump on a United Airlines flight, Delta. Yeah, pretty much, right? And then just arrive Fly to Beirut no, and no, go to the go to the go to the thing yeah. and 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 just pick up the gear. So the the Saudi Arabia they've 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 been getting a little bit better recently because while fighting in Yemen, they're the leaders of the coalition there. They've actually had some military experience, but they've been suffering. 
mm. because their army is so rubbish. Mm. So if they p- try to pull this off, I mean, remember in the Khashoggi killing, what what a debacle that was. I mean, they yes. were just not good at keeping it quiet. There yes. were leaks yeah. of the tapes and things. It was oh no, yeah, it was so explicit. So if they try to pull off a, you false see, but I draw a different lesson from the Khashoggi thing, which is that. As incompetent as they've proven to be, there are obviously some actors within the Saudi and Arabian Saudi Arabian uh, government government that think that there is a way to do things that doesn't square with uh, yeah, classically well. liberal values, and it is a typical. <laughs> That's <putting> it, <laughs> it is a typical uh, fault of uh, totalitarian murderous thugs. That they overestimate their own abilities, and so might any in any event have tried. Okay, but while we're talking about totalitarian thugs, um, of course, in many people's view, if anything goes wrong, if there's anyone sort of putting a stick into the wasp's nest and trying to stir up trouble, it had better be Vladimir Putin. <laughs> no, I don't think it was Putin, but there is something that Russia stands to gain. Uh, Russia's uh, in is now and then the world's largest exporter of raw energy, basically. And it suffers uh, almost as badly as America when prices go uh, down. down. And in fact, in some senses, it suffers worse because America is better hooked into the rest of the world. So it can can reach export parity and import parity depending on where the price is going. So they would do nicely by... Uh, any any kind of trouble in the in the Middle East, if it really yep. conflagrates, is going to push the oil price up and, Russia and gas, and Russia benefits from that. What's really interesting? Also, there's geopolitical stuff there. Yeah, no, of course, because it creates a headache for the Americans and for the Saudis, yeah. and uh, allows them to sell more weapons to the Iranians, which is yes. which is always a popular thing in Russia. Uh, there's something else actually to note about the oil price here. One of the reasons that oil price has been a little bit lower in recent years is because Saudi Arabia has, to hurt the Iranian economy, yeah, it's massively pumped. produced yeah. oil instead of... You know. And I always thought that it was partly to hurt the Russian economy too. I mean, if you look at, yeah, the, yeah. If you look at the lineup between when uh, war started in Ukraine and when Crimea was annexed and when the referendum was held to see who, want, who where, which country they wanted to belong to, the oil price around then was sort of $160 bef- just before and during the first bits. And then it plummeted quite quickly afterwards so it seemed like um it was hard not to believe that some american hadn't at least considered giving the saudis a call you know some cia operative and saying look if you want to go ahead and do this now we'll make it up to you later it's going to hurt the iranians so it suits you it's going to hurt the russians it's going to suit us and the one thing the saudis have an awful lot of is money they yes. have so much money. They so they can, can run afford it to take the hit. For quite a while before they're in trouble. And it's not even a loss. Their oil production is so cheap. It's a it's a loss in the sense of opportunity costs. Yeah. They're making much less than they could make. Yeah. But it's not a loss in the sense that other countries have of being basically forced to sell oil at a rate that's slightly cheaper than you're producing it at. Exactly. Uh, because you because all the kinds of deals that hook the all of the links that uh, bound the world together kind of exactly. force you to do it. Uh, so so Russia's got a motive to 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 muck around in the in the seas there. I mean it probably didn't because it doesn't have ships or anything there. But you know it's yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 definitely got an, an a motive in kind of making things a little bit more exciting. Yeah. Um what is Iran's motive? Well we talked about that a bit. What is the Americans' motive? So some people Yeah because I'm thinking people think the Americans did it. Yes. Uh, the American motive could be, I don't know, it's always these, these, I, I, I don't put too much stock in, in, in these things, but, but that's also because I'm a neocon monster warhawk. Um, 
<laughs> it's uh, the video games. Yes, the Listeners, video, Nicholas video sometimes <laughs> does awful, atrocious things <laughs> on computer screens to imaginary characters. Um, so presumably the Americans, they've, they've been spoiling for a fight. They want to re- remove the Iranian regime because mm. it's you know, challenged their regional hegemony. And their biggest problem is that Iran seems, as long as Iran seems like a credible force like a credible actor reasonable prudent then it makes it hard for them to say to other countries you mustn't deal with these guys and something we were talking about is that the iranians uh they they are capable of they are currently trading a lot of oil with china and others and germany i think we were saying is looking at softening the sanctions and if you if you if you can make it seem as if iran has done some Active terrorism. You keep the sanctions up, and everyone playing ball. Uh, the other, the other explanation that a lot of people kind of go to is the, the you know, do you remember that uh, that cartoon that the New York Times got in trouble for recently of um, Trump being like led around by Netanyahu or, or something? They were like uh, one of them was a dog, uh-huh. and the the implication being that the Israelis are the Israeli lobby, as it's often called, the yeah. Zionist lobby. Yes. is actually running American foreign policy. Yes. And they're they're oh, basically yes. just the big, stupid lapdogs of the Israelis. Yes, I've heard this theory. Uh, that's, that's another very popular motive. Um, it's an old theory. Yeah, so obviously the, the Israelis do have a bit of a motive there. Yeah. Um, but the Israelis also are famous for kind of wanting to do things by themselves often. Mm. Uh, they've they made this alliance with Saudi Arabia completely under the Americans' nose. They, yeah. they cut the Americans out of that whole reproachment. Mm. Uh, and the Amer- the Israeli Air Force, I'm sure, has got extensive plans for how to attack Iran at a moment's notice. Yeah, the Straits of Hormuz are not a big concern to the to the to the Israelis necessarily. Yeah, um, it's a it's someone it's on someone else's chessboard, but they yeah they've got they've got they've got their own problems, and um, a big a big old war with Iran might see a couple of missiles lobbed in their direction. Yeah, they're close. They are within, you know, medium ballistic missile range. Yeah. So the Iranians probably could cause a lot of trouble. And the other problem for the Israelis is this: Iran's one of their proxies, Hezbollah, in um, yeah in Lebanon, another one of their little has allegedly something like a hundred thousand missiles, rockets pointed at Israel. Ready to go, so that would be. So Iron Dome might be great. There is no way that you can stop that many small rockets, and that would kill probably a few hundred, or maybe a few thousand people. Yeah. So the Israelis know that they, 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 they would prefer for Iran to just fall apart by itself. Mm. They don't want to actually get to a shooting war because they might also suffer quite a lot of hits from that. Mm-hmm. So there are all these different potential motives. Um, at least with the Israelis, I think with the rest, they're, they're quite credible motives. Yeah. Um, in terms of means, as you say, there's real problems. The Russians are far away. The Saudis are incompetent. The Americans uh, haven't proven themselves to be capable of keeping good secrets. No. Uh, <laughs> Iran-Contra, of course, was a long time ago. But yeah, exactly. all kinds Th- this, is, this is one of the other problems is that most of these intelligence agencies that are alleged to kind of carry out things like false flags mm. almost always leak or bungle it in some way. Mm. Mm. Uh, and the Iranians themselves, if they did do it, it might not be fair to say the Iranians themselves did it because although they have these arm-length actors, it might be the case that the arm-length actor is really acting against the interests of the Iranian government. In this case, that might have been the thing because it's very explicitly been an operation by uh, at least the shooting down of the drone. Mm. It's very explicitly an operation of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Rather than they the were the ones Iranian who army. contacted the uh, 
Okay, so it is a highly explosive situation. A lot of fingers pointing in a lot of directions because yes. of people sort of saying there's a paucity of evidence here, but there's an abundance of motivation. Uh, and let's sort of look away from the means just for a minute. Everyone's pointing at everyone. It looks it looks pretty hot. And then... Well, what happens is this. Um, the Americans say, well, after Trump tweets, you know, Iran has made a big mistake. Uh, we need to show them that you can't mess with us. You can't shoot down our stuff. Yeah. It doesn't matter how cool you think you are or whether we were of your airspace or whatever. You can't go and shoot down our drones. Yeah. So the story, as reported by the New York Times over the last 24 hours, is that the Americans re- prepared a big response. They were going to target missile bases, mm-hmm. missile launching sites, and Iranian radar mm-hmm. in the, uh, along the Straits of They were going to target that with bombs. They were going to target it with bombs. They were going to target it with missile launch, uh, missiles launched from ships. And they were going to attack in the early morning so that there would be very few personnel around. So they would do infrastructure damage but not actually kill. Minimize human yeah. human loss of life, yeah. maximum. So it's kind of a, it's a bit of a tit-for-tat thing. You shoot down our thing, we knock out all your radar stations. Yeah. Um, but at the very last minute, the New York Times reports that Trump called it off. Hmm. Now, no one knows why. This is, this is like sort of as the missiles are ready to be launched, all the troops are in position. Yeah, there's gas in the missile. Yes. And this was leaked by what the New York Times called a senior administration official. Who knows who that is? Um, could even be Bolton. Mm. Could be someone else. Mm. I, mean, I think senior can be attached very easily to anyone's name who was in the room. Yeah. Uh, so... What do you make of this? I mean, why, why, why did, why did Trump call it off? Is he, is he just indecisive, or is there something yeah, no, else going on? It is hard. It, I, it's it's hard to know. I think that um, he is so personally aggressive. He's so abrasive. His character is kind of nasty, uh, to use a word that he likes to use against other people. He's a nasty man. He's a nasty man. He goes after Rosie O'Donnell and Megyn Kelly and he tells seven-year-old children to stop believing in Santa Claus. (laughs) The man ruins dreams. (laughs) Uh, And it's easy to think of him for that reason as hawkish. Yeah. Um, But his whole life he's been a public figure and has spoken uh, on various platforms through the years about various American wars. And he has tended to be one of the more dovish um, sort of American billionaire man. Yeah, he's, people. he's, he's been, he, but, but he hasn't been dovish in the traditional sense. So he basically said, he says things like, oh, we should, we should have invaded Iraq and taken all their oil. He said this during the American primaries, taken yes. all their oil and then left. Yes. Um, you know, or we're going to bomb Syria into nothing, but there's never, it's, it's always kind of a bit, we're not actually going to go to war with anyone in the traditional sense. Yeah. We're not going to do regime change. Or- well, so, okay, but so here's how I make sense of that. And I think we did talk about this on an earlier podcast. I, I, I think that something that people underestimate about Trump is that he understands BATNA. He understands the best alternative to the negotiated agreement as being the, the, uh, the core tool uh, in negotiations. If you want to get your way is to make it the case that, look, if we don't crack a deal, I'm going to make it so that I'm going to be fine. So if you want me to make a deal, make it a nice deal. And I'm going to make it the case, 
Also, that your Batner, your best alternative to making a deal with me is awful. Yeah. So that if we don't crack a deal, so that you're going to be prepared to take a deal where you're taking it through the nose, but you're still going to be prepared to take it because you're going to get to keep your nose. So, so the way that he treats Kim, the way that he treats yeah. a lot of his opponents is to talk up the worst possible case for them yeah. and to say, I'm going to do this. I want to make it abundantly clear. And it was irritating to me, um, f for example, to hear... During during his Twitter war with with Kim, um, a lot of people saying no, you shouldn't sound aggressive because this makes it more likely that bad things are going to happen. And Hillary Clinton was saying this too. And I remember it was Condoleezza Rice who said, uh, "No, I think this is basically exactly what you have to do." And it and and Hillary Clinton's own uh, sort of platform, she was asked at some point, like, "What would you do?" And she said, "You know, one of the key things you have to do is you have to make a credible threat." Of total annihilation against exactly. the well, North Korean why regime. Are they Otherwise, why are they going to listen to you? It's a little bit like in, in Brexit. If you take no deal off the table, it's harder to bargain. You're yeah, taking you a bargain? major Cause, bargaining cause chip. Then they can just say, "Oh, okay. Well, then you you come to other, you agree to our deal." Yeah. Or you just stay in the EU forever. Yes, <laughs> those are your two options. Yeah. You you don't have a best alternative. I will just add to that. I think a very good point made by Jeremy Hunt, uh, which is that it's not enough to keep no deal on the table. You also have to make No Deal as attractive as possible for for the UK uh, political body and economy. Yeah. So you've got to, You've got to, You've got to put in the measures in place to say that look, if we are forced to, we're keeping it on the table table legislatively, but we're also going to put everything in place to make a No Deal scenario exactly. good for the UK economy, as good as can be, and that forces the EU to say, okay, we need to make a deal that's even sweeter than that from your point of view. Yeah. Anyway, so I think Trump understands that, and I think that that is uh, that the distinction between saying, in the event of no deal, here's how bad I can make it for you, yeah, uh, as distinct from, but here's how sweet the deal can be. Yes, that difference is something that a lot of people overlook. They hear the threat and they mistake it for a plan of action, uh, regardless of how things actually go, and so they think of him as being uh, milit a military adventurist. I think that he he might have called it off because he saw the pattern of escalation that happened so often. Okay, you say tit for tat, but what are the Iranians going to say? We only destroyed one drone, and it was our right to do because it was in our airspace. You went and destroyed a whole bunch of of uh, of, of military units of, of of material, including people. It's hard to do that kind of thing without anyone dying. And so now and we- you can be sure that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard is going to make sure that everyone who no one really likes is going to be sleeping in the, the yes. easily strikeable targets that <laughs> <Yes>. night. <laughs> and, and you can be sure that they'll find some really dastardly way of exacting revenge and that that exacting- that that revenge. I mean, you can't be sure that they do it, but it would be a likely plan of action, and that revenge would then uh, prompt uh, hawks in the American government to try and uh, do another tit for tat, which really tries to put them and down. That's how you get an out of control escalation, and that's how you get an out of control escalation. So he might have sort of seen that coming and felt that um, it's not worth it. I also suspect that he is aware of the fact that while it remains, while doubt remains about who initiated this. Usually when you have these kinds of Romeo and Juliet escalations where the Montagues and the Capulets end up sort of trying to destroy yeah, each yeah. other completely, it all goes back to who started it. Yeah. And if you can remember who started it, then that person's in trouble. Yes. If you can't remember who started it, then it's a slightly different story. But 
America is a, 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 a fragile, it's a, a fractious democracy. Yes. And and I think Trump's got an eye to 2020 so, yeah, and he doesn't want to be... He wants to build the, the case that it's unambiguous that it was 100% them and they're the bad guys and we're just defending ourselves. That would make it different. If CNN yeah. was saying they're the bad guys, then I think it would be a different situation. Yeah. As much as people think he doesn't watch CNN or care. Oh, he definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, And that okay. prudence, I think that prudence seems out of character. Uh, so far, it seems like prudence is the well, better part the, of valor. He, he may have ordered them to step down, but we don't actually know what the discussions were at the end. Yeah. Maybe it was a more unanimous decision than is being, uh, mm. and then maybe the lone dissenter in the room was the senior the senior person who leaked, who leaked the story. it to the New York Times. Who yeah. knows? Anyway, um, but this the, the the downside of the strategy is this, which is that the Iranian guard goes, "Well, look, they didn't do anything. Yeah. We need to poke them harder." Yeah. And next time they poke them too hard and at a level that really can't avoid a war. Yeah. Um, and they are, you know, there is a there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for miscalculation mm. at the moment. Mm. Um, one of the one of the so I was listening to a podcast recently um, where they were talking a little bit about Iran and the guy suggested that what the Iranians actually want to do is they think Trump's going to lose in 2020. Yeah. And they're hoping that a Democrat will come in and the Democrat will want to, particularly if it's Joe Biden restore obama's legacy yeah joe biden would be big on returning to the deal exactly yeah so they're hoping that joe biden gets in and they can you know maybe fudge their way through a deal until they get a bomb yeah so yeah you you strike the americans you make things uncomfortable and then you open the door for negotiation you say oh we well we can calm down all the tension just come yeah. talk to us yeah. and you string them along for five years mm. and you've got a bomb mm. and then no one it doesn't matter anymore because no yeah one then you don't it. have to yeah then the game is fundamentally changed exactly so that's probably the iranians best play at this moment the americans don't really have a good play if they strike the iranians they have the potential of uniting people behind the regime mm-hmm. If they don't strike the Iranians, they make themselves look less credible, weak in the area, or possibly mm. the Iranians will keep trying to poke at them mm-hmm. to get them to do something. So the Americans are in a kind of a situation where no matter what they do, they lose, mm. um, which is which is some pretty good maneuvering by the Iranians. Mm. Alternatively, however, the Iranian government might suffer some sort of humiliating defeat. Yeah, I mean, so I think the Americans, the thing is that if, if the Americans, if I, I don't agree, I think that, Iran one of one of America's problems is that we said we we're doing a world tour but we've been hovering in the yeah, Middle East quite the, a lot because Iran is quite interesting it is very interesting but let's 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 talk let's bring China into this as one of the big tr- trading partners at least in terms of oil yeah. um America is currently in a in a low level trade war with China it's talked about uh increasing tariffs by another $380 billion or something yeah. worth of goods. China's sort of responding aggressively, but all kinds of signals are being sent from both sides that you shouldn't expect this to keep escalating. Um, and that uh, I think even a lot of Chinese uh, high-level officials have sort of tacitly admitted that the playing field was skewed in their favor in terms of exports. And it suits them for that playing field to be adjusted somewhat, at least over the last four years, sort of from late Obama era to now, um, partly because their economy is starting to mature a little bit and it can afford to be, um, it, it, it can afford to shift its balance of trade 
in fact, it, it kind of suits it to, to shift its balance of trade at this stage and enjoy more of its prosperity, kind of do less of the sweatshop, very cheap exports, very low renminbi kind of um, kind of pattern of economics that they've been running until now. Um, that said, it's, it is an aggressive negotiation. Both sides really do parts of it you know parts of trade are kind of this win-win uh but when it comes to the state actors sort of exertion of those different monopolies of force in terms of tariffs and taxes and uh and uh, trying to get huawei not to come into the party or, or or from the chinese side trying to get huawei to integrate itself throughout uh there's intelligence as well that's related to that in in terms of picking up people's personal data and corporate data and state data this is and those kinds of things aren't win-win. Yep. There are real negotiating uh, moments. There, there are real things to negotiate about where it's kind of like quite clear that there's a winner and a loser. And I think both parties are particularly interested in being a winner. And all of these, and everything else in the world, because they're such, I mean, because America is, is a genuine superpower yes. and because China is an aspiring superpower, the rest of the world comes into play as well. I think that America would want Iran to, sorry, would want China to, uh, to completely isolate Iran, to yeah. participate. Because it really does, it's not great for the Chinese economy to have a big source of oil cut off. And so if the Iranians are either being completely blockaded by the Americans or bombed, you know, or the Straits of Hormuz are blocked or something is going on, the Chinese are probably going to suffer more than a lot of other countries. And so for America to do that, to get China to take a little bit of a knock without that knocking on back into America through Chinese punishment requires a kind of uh, a legitimacy that's that's beyond a certain threshold of dispute. Well, that yeah, exactly. So that that is one of the the problems with it the has sanctions. to be incontrovertible. On, one of the problems with the sanctions on Iran is that China is still buying oil from them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas the Americans are trying to close that net. So if there's a very clear reason, yeah, that Iran are bad hombres and they need to be stopped and all this, the the Chinese might be forced, as you say, if there's an Controversial. Yeah, if there's incontrovertible evidence. Yeah. And so that kind of seems to me like a way, uh, you, you, you're like America's in a lose-lose situation. I'm I'm not entirely sure. Maybe in a sense, the the, the Iranian revolutionary God could lose it uh, themselves and, and help the Americans win by doing something else so brazenly, obviously, incontrovertibly uh, bad that... It, it, it legitimizes a, a break in the trade relationship between Iran and China, and that would likely uh, do so much damage to the Iranian yeah. economy that it, that it would translate, that you could hope for it quite reasonably to translate into internally-fueled exactly. regime change. Or, or as I was saying a little bit earlier, maybe they, they, they provoke some kind of attack, they get humiliated, they get absolutely messed up by the American military and the dissidents inside Iran say, look, they're trying to, they're starting this crap with America. Yeah. We need to stop them immediately. Yeah. This is getting out of control. Yeah. We can overthrow the regime now. Look, they're leading us yeah. into a war. They're reckless we zealots and exactly. we, can't, we can't afford this. We can't do this anymore because one of the chants that's been on the streets by these protesters is no more money to Hezbollah, no more money to, um, to, to, to Assad. We want the money invested here in Iran. Mm. Um, and yeah, so isn't that a good point? I mean, why exactly. would you? If you, it's like if I, if, if 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 it turned out that the South African government was sort of spending some major portion of GDP on faction fighters in the Congo and uh, and in Kenya, exactly, and, and <clears throat> Boko Haram in Nigeria, surely a lot of South Africans would be very irritated. But well, especially if you, 
at the same time, the pension system was going belly up mm. in your home country. Oh, Nicholas, we're not allowed to say things about the world <laughs> that have any resonance with South Africa. But that's exactly what's happening in Iran. Mm. The, the the pensions of sort of the clerics and, and the benefits for clerics are being protected, mm. um, while the kind of the, the pension scheme for for the poorest sections of society Working. are going bankrupt, mm. and all this money is being spent on supplying arms to expand mm. hegemony over the Middle East. Mm. I mean, if Iran's economy was doing better, mm. I'm sure the, the, they might be able to get more of the people on board with this kind of glory-seeking expansionist nationalism stuff. Yes. Um, you know, because actually, as much as people say, oh, people, everyone just wants to live in peace, actually, no, no. populations <laughs> can sometimes be quite bloodthirsty and yes. like, be very caught up in national prestige and yeah. national projects and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But if, you know, everyone is out of a job and everyone's not getting any money and your grandparents aren't getting their pension payments, you start to care a little bit less about can't, restoring yeah. the Persian Empire. <laughs> yeah, if you can't even afford, if no one in your family can afford to buy a computer and play Persian Empire yeah, exactly. on the computer, exactly. then maybe you care <laughs> less about it in reality exactly. as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so it looks, I think, I think going forward, there's going to be um, probably, it's difficult to say where this goes, there might end up being some shooting between the Americans and the Iranians. We'll see what goes on. I hope. Um, I hope not. Sorry, just to make the not clear. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's yeah. But I think the possibility of a of a of a kind of you know Iraq star war is unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? The world develops in a very quick way. Yeah, it does. And I think that one of the things that I grew up as a teen, you know, some of my first uh, memorable TV news watching experiences we're watching the afghan war and then the iraq war and so much of what came with that sort of from from inside the south african media and commentariat was that american presidents when they go into war generally boost their popularity and it's a useful thing to do before an election um i think we were figuring that trump is of the like since world war ii pretty much four out of every five American presidents have initiated some kind of major military action in their first term. Yeah. Uh, and that does generally boost their popularity because people rally behind their leader in times of war. And Trump is of the one in five who hasn't done that yet. There has been, there's been military action, but it's, but it's, it's been sort of continuation of what was already going on. Yeah, the last on. time this happened was what, Carter? Yeah. Jimmy Carter, the great dove Jimmy Carter. So so it is it is in a way, you know, love him or hate him, I I do it would be better if he I think, you know, unless things change radically, it would as a as a very general idea, it would kind of be better for America not to go to war in the next year and a half just to boost the president's well, popularity. Yeah, well depending on the context though, dovishness and hawkishness can be popular. Yeah. Um, if you go to the extreme of it. So if you're very dovish, you can sometimes be popular if you're very hawkish. It depends on the global context. Yeah. In this case, I think no. people... Jeremy Corbyn's not that popular. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think in this case, dovishness actually in the long term will probably help his prospects more than... Because his big problem is that he's perceived as, you know, if, if people want to attack him, they say, oh, he's an irresponsible, unpresidential lunatic who's, you know, that, that, that... that. You can't trust him with the bomb. Exactly. He's right? going to just set it off one night from Twitter. In his but if he hasn't bathroom. started a war that... Attack doesn't really work. It doesn't really work. Well. Yeah, it would, it would, that's interesting. Yeah, it would totally turn that criticism on its head. On the other hand, you think like if you did go to war in the next year, a lot of a lot of elections are about 
competing for those few people in the center who might be sensitive to uh, this kind of case that you just made. Oh well, I thought Trump was such a douchebag uh, because he was he was such he's such an aggressive guy. He'd yeah, want to yeah. bomb everyone, but it turns out that he hasn't started a war. Uh, okay, now he started a war. You lose that guy. That guy goes back to the Dems. Um, but a lot of a lot of elections are also about bringing out the base. And I think that the Republican base generally well, does a good job of coming out to support its... I think at the moment a lot of the Republican base are basically in a cult of personality sort of a, a agreement with Trump. So at the end of the day, if he's a dove, they'll say, ah, oh, you see, he hasn't sent our boys off to die. And if he's a hawk, they'll say, oh, he's kicking the Iranians' ass. With, USA. With Soviet, USA. USA. Yeah, USA. so he, with his base... You think it's win-win? I think it's win-win either way. As long as, he, as long as he doesn't look weak. Yeah. He either looks wise or he looks strong. Mm. Uh, anyway, so we've gone quite long now. This is yeah, it's long. Episode. Okay, well, Iran's very interesting, and uh, the and the and the limpet mine. It turns out, uh, it barely. I mean, the one that did explode barely did any damage. Yeah, uh, and the other one did not explode, and it seems like the whole region that's kind of sort of where it's sitting at the moment. It's just kind of there are mines in the water, but they don't seem to be blowing up. Yes, just yet. So anyway, if you uh, enjoyed us, we hope you'll join us for the next episode. Um, this podcast is brought to you by the Institute of Race Relations. Um, if you'd like to become a friend of the Institute, you can SMS uh, your name to 32823. SMSs cost one rand and terms and conditions apply. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Lure and Longboy Liberty Show. Ring.